0: on the field inside the clubhouse and everything in between this is brewers weekly live from the annex wealth management studios at radio city here's matt polly
1: A good Thursday evening and welcome in. It is time for another edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. My name is Matt Pauley, as you just heard. If you want to join us, you can do so by calling or texting into the AccuDent Mortgage Talk and text line that's 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620, the AccuDent Mortgage Talk and text line. You can also tweet into the program. Find me on Twitter at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Air. have a busy program tonight with all the news of the past week the Eric Thames option not being picked up Chase Anderson uh, getting traded Lorenzo Kane winning a gold glove Christian Yelich winning a silver slugger uh, Christian Yelich Craig Council up for some other awards a lot to get to and as we always do at the top of the program let's get to that by doing this week's edition of three up three down
0: it's time for three up three down three things from the past week that are trending in the right direction and the three things the crew needs to work on number one all right
1: right, let's get to it and we get a little bit uh we get a little liberal here in the offseason as far as the three up three down and what we would put under the categories but uh, as far as uh, our first one lorenzo kane finally 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 wins the gold glove it had been something that was a long time gum- coming. Someone say would say a wrong has been righted. Whatever you want to say, he wins the gold glove this past week, and you just have to feel good for him. It's odd because he's won just about every other defensive award that you can win, but for whatever reason, he had never won a gold glove. In fact, when it was being announced on TV, one of the, uh, one of the analysts even said Lorenzo Cain wins another gold glove and had to be quickly corrected to be said no. This is his first one. So Lorenzo Cain wins the Gold Glove. He also just recently won the Wilson Defensive Player of the Year Award for center field. That's not an American League, National League thing. That's just the best players at each position. So he wins that award again. He had previously won the Fielding Bible Award. So Lorenzo Cain now officially a Gold Glover. Number two. Christian Yelich wins another Silver Slugger. It is his second with the Brewers and his third overall in his career. Silver Slugger going to the best offensive player at each individual position. So he wins that one. Another honor, another award for Yelich. It becomes a very normal thing that uh, he picks up a number of awards. But the big question is, is he going to win another award this offseason? The big one. We'll get to that with this.
0: Number three.
1: Yeah, so Craig Council and Christian Yelich are both up for major awards. Uh, Once again, you have Craig Council, who is up for the Manager of the Year Award. I thought he should have won it last year. Maybe this is the year that he wins it. It seems like a lot of uh, voting individuals, people with votes uh, in the baseball writers, have come around to the fact that when... Uh, You give Craig Council an opportunity to manage with the expanded roster in September. He does some really, really cool things for it. So uh, he is a finalist for the manager of the year. I don't know if he's going to win it or not again. I actually thought he was more deserving of it last year than he was uh, this year. Not that he's not deserving of it uh, this year, but uh, he is a a nominee for that. And then Christian Yelich is once again a nominee for the MVP. This is going to be really interesting to see how this plays out because you can... You can make the argument that Yelich deserves to be the MVP, even with him missing the time that he missed at the end of the season. Cody Bellinger, Anthony Rendon, also up for it. Now, you should uh, be reminded, or you should know, the voting takes place at the end of the regular season, so the Nationals going on the run that they went on and all that, that's not going to impact uh, Anthony Rendon's standing. I kind of have a sense that Cody Bellinger might win it this year, but Christian Yelich absolutely is going to be right there, and I think he's still got a uh, puncher's chance to maybe win it. Strike one. Eric Thames exiting as uh, the decision is made for his option not to be picked up. Quite honestly, that caught me a little bit off guard. I thought the crew were going to just pick up the option and bring him back. I thought it was pretty good value, but clearly... And we'll explain coming up in our next segment why maybe the value was not as good as I initially thought it was. But as it sits right now, Eric Thames is a free agent and can sign with any team. Strike two! Chase Anderson traded. And we're going to get into this a little bit more later on in the program as well. A guy who probably doesn't get the recognition that he deserves for what he did with the team. There were certainly some inconsistencies there, and that's probably why. When he was good, he was really, really good. Unfortunately, there were times where he was not as good. It appears that the team was not going to pick up his option for this upcoming season. So they're able to trade him to at least get something for him. Strike three, you're out. Major League Baseball players continue to accuse general managers and owners and uh, everybody on the uh, on the team side of things of collusion. And that once again came into uh, play this past week as the head of the Baseball Players Union, Tony Clark, issued a statement yesterday uh, in response to remarks made by Braves general manager Alex Anthopoulos. He was doing a conference call with the media, and he said, quote, Every day, this is from Anthopolis, I should say. Every day you get more information, and we've had time to connect with 27 of the clubs. Obviously, the Astros and Nationals being in the World Series, they were tied up, but we've had a chance to get a sense of what other clubs are going to look to do in free agency, who might be available in trades. The problem with that... Is according to the baseball labor contract general managers are not allowed to discuss with other general managers what they're planning to do in free agency because that creates uh, the idea of collusion and that's what the Players Association is worried about. Now Anthopolis did issue a statement after uh, Tony Clark issued his statement so we got statements being issued all over the place and Anthopolis tried to say that what he was actually saying was the conversations were about what players might be available via trade, not so much free agency, but it's even if it was just a little bit of a slip up in the words that they were using, right now with the hypersensitive feelings about uh, players not getting paid what they need to get paid and overall general managers and owners trying to take salaries in a downward direction, that was not a good look and that was not a good thing for Anthopolis to say. That is this week's edition of Three Up, Three Down. We're going to dive into the Eric Thames and his option, the uh, option not being picked up, what that really means for the team, why the decision was made, what we can learn from that decision being made, and what the future of first base now looks like for the Brewers. We'll do that next. If you want to join us, 414-799-1620. 414-799-1620. That is the AccuDent Mortgage talk and text line. and You can also tweet at Matt Pawley on air m-a-t-t-p-a-u-l-e-y on air we're back with more in a moment it's brewers weekly on wtmj
0: back with more brewers weekly after this brewers weekly on wtmj
1: Brewers Weekly does continue here on WTMJ, 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. That is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet into the program, at Matt Pawley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. I was, I was somewhat surprised this past week when the decision was made to decline the option on first baseman Eric Thames. When... You look at what he did as a uh, just the season he just had, and you look at seven and a half million dollars. It's it's really six and a half million dollars. And this I'm not trying to go all fuzzy math on you here, but they had to pay a one million dollar buyout to not bring him back so really the the true cost of bringing Eric Thames back for another year would have been six and a half million, not seven and a half million because they lose the one million by not uh bringing him back for this upcoming season, but they declined the seven and a half million dollar option after he put up a pretty good season and i've been thinking about this a lot, and we'll we'll connect this to chase Anderson, and we 'll talk about Chase Anderson later on in the program because he gets traded this past week. But that opens up a significant amount of salary for this team because they've got some tough decisions to make and they've got some holes to fill and they've got some expensive holes to fill depending on what they're going to do uh, behind the plate at third base and probably in starting pitching as well. So they are, and then that doesn't even include all the arbitration-eligible players, including Josh Hader, who is going to get a very, very significant raise here this offseason. So I was... At first I was caught off guard by the option not being picked up on Eric Thames but the more that I thought about it the more I realized and there's one key thing here and again I'm going to connect this back to Orlando or excuse me to uh, Chase Anderson. So Chase Anderson they were not going to pick up his option reportedly. And they were able to make a move to trade him. He was his value for next season. Toronto said he is worth this amount of money, and Toronto made the deal to acquire Chase Anderson, and you get a prospect in exchange. So what that tells you is the Brewers were open for business for Eric Thames as well, and there was no team out there that seemingly was interested in giving up anything to go get Eric Thames at a seven and a half million dollar contract for this upcoming season. That's that's surprising to me. That's very surprising to me. I thought that there would have been a team out there. Based off, I I, I thought the Brewers were going to bring him back at seven and a half million dollars. I'm I'm borderline shocked that there's no team anywhere in baseball. That was willing to pay him $7.5 million this year knowing that they would have had to give up something. But you could have probably traded him away for for a bag of balls. I mean they, they weren't asking for that much because generally more often than not David Stearns just doesn't want players and assets to walk away for nothing. And that's essentially what happened with Eric Thames. It, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier with the three up, three down and just the overall feeling that general managers and owners are trying to push salaries in a downward direction. You've got a guy in Eric Thames who hits home runs, who draws a lot of walks, uh, can play multiple positions. I mean, he's a first baseman, but it's not, it's not the worst thing in the world to go throw him out in the outfield for a game here or game two you put him out there too often he probably gets exposed but he's certainly somebody who can go out there uh, here and there so there's some uh positional uh flexibility with him as well and you look at his numbers and what he's been able to do and he's not worth seven and a half million dollars to any team in baseball and that that's kind of the baseball world that we're living in it and I think it's very different. If Eric Thames wants to be playing Major League Baseball next year, he will absolutely have that opportunity. But it does take me back to Chris Carter a few years ago when Carter led the National League in home runs. Now, Carter struck out a ton, and he didn't hit for average, so there's certainly some other things as well. I think Eric Thames is certainly the more complete player compared to Carter. But Carter's a guy who led the National League in home runs a few years ago, and not only did the Brewers non-tender him, He didn't get any offers. He didn't get the opportunity to play Major League Baseball, and he ended up going overseas. So sometimes I need to remind myself, and this is another situation with Eric Thames. Sometimes I need to remind myself, kind of, the state of baseball as it is right now. That you can have a guy like Thames, who put up pretty good numbers, who you feel like the valuation at $7.5 million for one more year of him makes a whole lot of sense. And nobody wants to pay it, including the team that, uh, that had him. I think there's a chance he's back. Uh, I, the fact that I, I'm going to be very interested. I'll let me say it this way. I'm going to be really, really interested to see what happens with Thames. Whether or not he does come back to the Brewers for a lesser valuation. Uh, whether he signs a major league deal with another team and see what kind of money is going to be offered to him from other teams, or whether he makes the decision to go back overseas, where from everything I've read, if it's going to be a money play for Thames, going back overseas might actually be the way that he can make the most amount of money. The largest contract offers might not be coming from teams in the United States. So this is... This is just the, the state of baseball that we're in right now, where veteran players who are very good major league players are just not seeing the opportunities that they, they would like to see. And $7.5 million, while well, that seemed, to me, it seemed like a, a common sense, no brainer decision to bring him back. Not only do the Brewers not bring him back, but I think it's safe to say that nobody else in baseball was real interested in paying him seven and a half million dollars for next season, so something that I viewed as a as a really good number and a really good contract, nobody else in baseball seemingly sees it that way, and that's a that's an interesting thing now the other side of that also is it's early it's early in the off season you know perhaps there's teams out there who have some holes at first base and would be and and Eric Thames would be like a third option for him or a fourth option for him, and they'd be more than willing to pay him the $7.5 million, but they want to, you know, Kick the tires on some other players first, and if they miss out on them, maybe they come back to Thames so that 's why they 're not willing to pay him seven and a half million dollars i 'm talking about other teams, not so much the brewers that 's why they 're not willing to pay him seven and a half million dollars in the first week of November, but maybe in the first week of January, it becomes a, a different decision to be made so that 's not even saying that he won 't get the seven and a half million this year, but he 's not getting it right now. And that tells you a lot about baseball. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620. It's the Net Mortgage Talk and text line. You can tweet into the program as well, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. We continue on in just a moment on WTMJ. It's Brewers Weekly on WTMJ. 414-799-1620 One four seven nine nine one six twenty is the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to join us, you can also tweet in at Matt Pauly on air. My name is Matt Pauley, as you might be able to uh, figure out there. Talking about first base, now that Eric Thames is not with the organization, and not that he might not be back, but he won't be back at $7.5 million. Uh, he would come back at a lesser number, but clearly the Brewers have to have a a plan kind of in the back of their heads about what they're going to do at first base, even if they don't have Eric Thames on the roster. And the thing that's been talked about a lot, and again, this is connected with Chase Anderson, who we're going to talk a lot about during the second half of the program, they've cleared a bunch of salary. By not bringing Eric Thames back at $7.5 million and not bringing uh, Chase Anderson back, uh, I think the option was $8.5 million, that clears a whole bunch of salary, and If the team is able to bring Yasmani Grandal back, I think that probably plays into first base a little bit. We saw him uh, do some platoon work at first base where you were able to give him a day off behind the plate but also keep his bat in the lineup. And then the other part of this, and we talked about this two years ago, and then really with the emergence of both Eric Thames and Jesus Aguilar, it kind of went down the wayside. But it was just a couple years ago where Ryan Braun started playing a fair amount of first base. and He hasn't done that recently, and again, that kind of went away because he had two other guys who were doing a good job over there. But I have to think that Braun at first base becomes a possibility once again. I don't know what it looks like. I don't know if it's an everyday thing. I don't know if it's a platoon thing. I don't know how much outfield play he would still get. I mean, with the emergence of Trent Grisham, they're, they, they certainly have enough outfielders to be able to uh, take from a position of strength in outfield and maybe fill in in a position of weakness at first base. Uh, I I don't know if from a wear and tear standpoint, you 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 know about Braun and his back and everything. Uh, There's some who have said, yeah, playing first base would be good form health-wise. There's some that say actually not so much because there's a lot more kind of bending over when you're playing first base, and that would not be as good for Braun. That You know, it's not the running that would be an issue with the back, maybe bending over. So there's a lot of things that get into it. 414-799-1620, the Ancunet Mortgage Talk and Tax Line. Let's go to David in Mequon. Hey, David, you're on WTMJ. Uh,
2: good evening. Actually, you stole a lot of my thunder. <laughs> I was actually going to say that I think of Ryan Braun What is he? 35 years old. Um I, I do think that it would be good to have him over at first base. And I remember when I was much younger, when Paul Molitor, you know, was over at third base, and eventually, you know, they switched him over to the first base because he was always getting injured and everything else. Uh, he was a great hitter, obviously. Ryan Braun's a great hitter still. Uh, he's not as his, – his numbers aren't as good as he used to be average-wise and stuff, but – He's still got a, you know, he's, he seems to come up in the big clutch situations, which is huge. And, um, I, I don't think there would be a huge drop off defensively if you were to put him at first base because he's, you know, he's still very athletic. And, uh, and to your point with Trent uh, Grisham, um, I see a guy, you know, that guy, even though he had, you know, the, the drop, in the wild card game, I think he's got a tremendous amount of upside, and it's you know, like you said, there's a lot of good young outfielders. that I think that we're in, we're okay positioned that way. And then you know, the only other thing is, you know, the question is what happens with third base. Um, you know, that's another you know big hole they're going to have to fill some way or the other. But that's just my opinion on it.
1: Yeah, appreciate the phone call, David. I. I think right now, you know, everything changes. They can make moves, and then things change. The way the roster is sitting right now, I don't see any scenario but Ryan Braun being a big part of first base. Now, you go sign somebody, you go trade for somebody, whatever it might be, who's going to be a first baseman, and then all of a sudden that can change things, and that that's how you move forward. You know, it's it's kind of funny when we when we look back at uh, prior to Lorenzo Cain and Christian Yelich, you're sitting there talking about Brett Phillips and Domingo Santana and what those guys are going to be able to do in the outfield, and that was the plan based off the roster as it sit right then, but then once you were able to make some moves, those roles didn't exist as much, and eventually those guys uh, do leave the organization. So as it sits right now, the way the roster looks right now, Ryan Braun... Almost has to be an option at first base. Uh, that could change. I don't know if it will. I think we're going to see uh, Braun playing first base this upcoming season. I don't know how much. If you know, a couple years ago, he really was there a fair amount to start the season. But again, this was before Jesus Aguilar really came on. And had Aguilar not came on, I think it would have. You know, that that's one of those things where you'd like to be able to hop in the DeLorean and see. How much time at first base Braun really would have gotten? Again, I do remain mildly concerned about the amount of bending over at first base that he doesn't have to do in the outfield. And with the back issue that does tend to pop up on him, I, I'm not as convinced that playing first base is as much of a relief for Orion Braun than it might be for other players who eventually move over to first base. 414-799-1620, 414-799-1620 is the Net Mortgage Talk and Tax Line. So Chase Anderson walks out the door. How good of a player was he for the Brewers? And is he an underrated player, really, in the history of the Brewers? We'll get into that during Going Deep. That's next. It is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ.
0: This is Brewers Weekly on WTMJ.
1: Paulie with you on a Thursday talking Brewers baseball. It might be cold outside, but we can talk about baseball here. 414-799-1620. That's the AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can also tweet in at Matt Paulie on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Let's get to this week's edition of Going Deep.
0: Whether the Brewers are winning or losing, a player is on a hot streak or slumping there's always a reason why. Here's this week's in-depth look at the current state of the Brewers as we go
1: deep. Get up! All right, so let me be completely fair. What I'm about to tell you, I've basically stolen all this information because uh, this was a great tweet that was put out uh, by one of my favorite folks out there, Kyle Lesneski, who is the uh, managing editor over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. He compiled these numbers and put it out on Twitter, but I found it to be really interesting and actually uh, fairly surprising. You know, Chase Anderson, who gets traded away this past week, I feel like there's some Uh, Some people were fans of Chase, some people not so much. Uh, There was this overall sense sometimes that maybe he wasn't as good as he actually was. Last year he gave up all those home runs, which I think kind of skewed people's thoughts on him. But now that his tenure with the Brewers is over, to go look at where some of his overall numbers rank in franchise history for starting pitchers is actually pretty interesting. And uh, again, uh, Kyle's Twitter handle is at Kyle L underscore Brewers if you want to see this tweet for yourself. But it's, uh, it's worth noting, his whip of 1.231, third best in Brewers history. Uh, his, uh, his strikeouts per nine innings, which was 7.703, that ranks fifth all time in franchise history. His starts, 112 of them with the Brewers, 20th all-time in franchise history. Uh, His ERA of 3.83 with the Brewers, that is 13th all-time. 505 strikeouts, that ranks 16th all-time. And his wins, 38 of them. Uh, 23rd all-time in Brewers history for starting pitchers. So it's really easy to look back at Chase Anderson and see the inconsistencies, see the ups, see the downs. But when he was good, he was really, really good. The other side of it was there were times where he was not as good. And there was always, I think for a lot of Brewers fans, there was this impending sense of, okay, which Chase Anderson is going to show up today? But when you take all of his numbers and you kind of put it into a pot and pull something out... You can make the argument that Anderson was one of the top starting pitchers in the history of the Brewers. And that is this week's edition of Going Deep. 414 799 1620. 414 799 1620 is the accurate mortgage talk and text line. You can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauly on air. We're going to spend a lot more time on Chase Anderson in our next segment, and more specifically, uh, what. His departure means for this team and for the starting rotation. Right now, let's go to the phones. We'll welcome in Doug and Baraboo. Hey, Doug, you're on WTMJ. Uh,
3: good evening, Matt. Yeah, see, I was I was a little surprised uh, Anderson uh, was you know was traded or, or let go. Uh, yeah, you pointed out some really great numbers there. You know, and overall, I think if you throw in Arizona that year, he's like three point nine four. But at 3.83, and you got a, a guy out there, Wheeler, that's a hot prospect. He's, he's only a 3.77. Uh, well, not only, but 3.77. So anyway, the, the thing is, okay, so we have Woodruff, Davies, and Hauser right now as starters. So without Anderson now, are you thinking, or do you think they're thinking, the Brewers, that Nelson uh, is going to be able to come back, or are they going to pull Peralta or Souter out of the bullpen, which they did really well in the bullpen? Or are we going to go after a big uh, time pitcher? Like, well, I don't think we can afford Strasburg, but you know maybe this Zach Wheeler guy, or or well, Bumgarner would be great to have a softball, But I, but I, I don't know. You know, uh, the Braves seem to go, be going after him. They may have a little more money, but um, I'm, I'm wondering what you think the Brewers the Brewers are thinking, or do you think they're going to go after two big time? Yeah, pitchers? I
1: think. I I appreciate the phone call, Doug, and and we're going to talk a lot about this. I'll I'll start this, and then we'll take a break, and we'll kind of continue the conversation from there. I expect the Brewers to bring in a fairly high-level starting pitcher. I think it would be a move kind of equivalent to the Yolisse-Shassin move from a couple years ago. They're not going to be in on Garrett Cole. I don't think they're going to be in on, on Steven Strasburg. Uh, Madison Bumgarner is probably the uh, the ceiling in terms of who they might bring in. But if they can bring in kind of a Yolish Chassin-level pitcher, and then I would think that they're going to bring in another veteran or two to compete for jobs. Corbin Burns is somebody who I know the organization still believes in, and there's going to be a competition in spring training. I would expect there to be a lot more candidates for the starting rotation this upcoming spring than this past spring, in large part because of how things ended up uh, turning out, and maybe they you know, bring back a Gio Gonzalez as well. We'll talk more about that in just a moment. If you want to get in here and talk about the starting pitching prospects for the Brewers, and not prospects in terms of young players, but prospects in terms of what it's going to look like 414-799-1620 414-799-1620 that is the acunet mortgage talk at text line you can also tweet into the program at matt polly on air we're back with more in a moment on wtmj brewers weekly with matt foley on wtmj Four seven nine nine one six twenty is the Yankee Mortgage Talk and Text Line. If you want to join us, you can also tweet into the program at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. Talking about the starting pitching situation for the Brewers going into this upcoming season, especially after the departure of Chase Anderson. They trade him away this past week. That creates more holes in the rotation going into this season. And it comes on the heels of a spring training last year where they went all in with a number of younger players and it did not completely work out. It worked out with one guy in Brandon Woodruff. And Woodruff's more younger in terms of Major League experience as opposed to age. But Freddie Peralta did not work in the starting rotation. And also uh, you had, um, in addition to Freddie Peralta, Corbin Burns really... Did not have a, a good season at all. I think we we start with those two guys because that's those are some of the names that are being discussed for this upcoming season. I think Peralta's future is in the bullpen. I would be surprised. And look, I've I've been wrong on things before. I was wrong about the Eric Thames option. I'm I'm wrong about a lot of things. And uh, the one thing I can say about David Stearns and the Brewers organization, they. They look at things in, in their own kind of unique way, and sometimes they're thinking outside the box, and sometimes it's hard to get a sense of what they want to do and what they don't want to do. But I don't think that Freddie Peralta's future is as a starting pitcher. Uh, his When he is on, his best stuff is about as good as anybody's best stuff on the team. But part of the problem is the inability to throw a third pitch. Uh, and some inconsistency issues that go along with his time in starting rotation. I just think he profiles better as a relief pitcher, and you can really hone him in to be a dominating relief pitcher moving forward. I don't think that way about Corbin Burns. I'm still excited about Burns, and I kind of feel, I hope what happens with Corbin Burns is not what happened with Matt Albers. Matt Albers this past season, and I know it's not an apples-to-apples because we're comparing a starting pitcher to a relief pitcher, But up until about the final month of this past season, Matt Albers was putting together one heck of a season for the Brewers, being one of the most uh, consistent and relied upon relievers. Really, At times, after Josh Hader, he was probably the second most reliable, depending on what time of the year you're looking at. He had a miserable season the year before where he just kind of lost it. And there were a lot of people that could never move on and could never look at Matt Albers any differently than how they viewed him the previous season. I'm hopeful that fans are not that way with Corbin Burns, because Burns was a top prospect coming up. We saw what he could do out of the bullpen uh, two seasons ago, and there was so much optimism about what he would do as a starting pitcher this year, this past year, and it just didn't work out. I still think he profiles as a starting pitcher. I still think that Burns is going to be a really good starting pitcher in Major League Baseball. His season last year was, a, was an unfortunate, disappointing, somewhat alarming experience, I guess you could say. But I would have to think that going into spring training, the Brewers absolutely will have Burns in the mix. I think the difference from last year to this year is going to be not relying on them. The reliance is going to be different. This past year, there was almost this sense that they had these young pitchers and they had to be given a shot. So you were going to go into the season with Burns and Peralta and Woodruff all having opportunities to be in the starting rotation. I don't think anything like that is going to exist this year. They're going to bring in some veterans. At least one. I have to think at least one guy who they are going to sign as a for-sure member of the rotation who you're going to be able to slot in and know that he's going into spring training with one of those jobs. And then other individuals who can be brought in to compete, other veterans, they didn't bring in those. That that was the difference. That, that, that's what I expect to be the difference from last year to this year. They didn't bring in as those veteran guys to compete. Maybe they do bring back a Gio Gonzalez. I think it makes a lot of sense to to bring Gio Gonzalez back. Gonzalez is not going to be your top of the rotation starter. But if he's your fifth guy, if he's your fourth guy, if he's someone who uh, is really good in the clubhouse, very good working with the young pitchers, kind of a stabling presence, kind of calming the waters, you bring somebody like that back, you combine that with a legit veteran starting pitcher who you know is going to be in the rotation, and then you have a few young guys who are going to have an opportunity to uh, compete for jobs, that's the scenario that I'm looking at. And it's it's tougher now. It's not as easy now that Chase Anderson is gone. One, if Anderson is back with the team going in this year, then you clearly have another one of these spots in the rotation filled up. I think this is a money thing again for Anderson, and we just went over all the numbers and where Chase Anderson ranks in terms of his, uh, his history with the Brewers, but I think there's something comparable here to Eric Thames, where the Brewers feel like they can get a performance equivalent to a Chase Anderson, they can get a performance equivalent to an Eric Thames for less money, or maybe it's just a case of clearing up some money here at the beginning of a free agency. Yeah, I mentioned earlier that maybe Eric Thames does get $7.5 million from another team later in the offseason, but that's not money that they'd be willing to spend on him right now because they want to go and take a look at some other options first. Maybe that's the exact same scenario that the Brewers are in, where they're willing to commit some money to players like Eric Thames, to players like uh, Chase Anderson, but they want to maybe navigate through something else first, and they want to free up that payroll. Payroll flexibility at the beginning of the offseason is a really good thing to have. You don't want to be in a situation where you acquire a player, you sign a player, all of a sudden you've stressed your payroll to a point where you want to come back down, and you're forced into a situation where you're trying to trade off uh, players just to just to drop salary because other executives are going to know what's going on. At that point, you are playing from a position of weakness. 414 799 1620. 414 799 1620 is the Net Mortgage Talk and Text Line. You can tweet into the program as well at Matt Pauley on air, M A T T P A U L E Y on air. It's Brewers Weekly. We wrap up this week's program next here on WTMJ. Hey. This
0: is Brewers Weekly with Matt Foley on WTMJ.
1: Starting to wrap up this edition of Brewers Weekly here on WTMJ. Of course, we will come your way every Thursday night from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock unless there is a Bucks game on those Thursday nights. also encourage you to check out Brewers Extra Riddings, the podcast. That's part of the WTMJ mobile network, and uh, you can find that on Apple Podcast, on Stitcher, by going to WTMJ.com. Our uh, Brewers Extra Riddings podcast will uh, drop uh, every late, late, late Sunday night, early, early, early Monday morning. So it's uh, sitting there waiting for you as you get your work week started on Monday. So hopefully you can uh, check that out as well if you are looking for more brewers talk to uh, take care of your brewers appetite over the course of the the offseason. Mike in Colorado texting in, when do you think major trades or big signings might happen? Mike, I assume you asked that question specifically regarding the Brewers, uh, not just Major League Baseball overall, but I think it's kind of all connected to each other. I've got no reason to believe that we are not going to see another incredibly slow offseason. And last year, you had the two major free agents in Bryce Harper and Manny Machado, and that just that slowed everything down where there were multiple teams that were interested in those players, and they were kind of waiting to look at other players until that got figured out. That That's a big reason why Mike Moustakis ended up back with the Brewers, because of Manny Machado, that the interest in Moustakis just had not developed as much. Uh, maybe it... I don't know. I'm trying to talk myself into the idea that maybe... Free agency is going to move a little bit quicker. I've read some things this past week that there's going to be more teams that are involved in Moustakas and that multi-year deals will absolutely be something uh, that he's going to get uh, an an opportunity to uh, have. Same thing with yesmani Grandal, that, yeah, the, the market was slow for him last year, but what he did this past season is going to create more of a market. I, I guess at this point, I almost have to see it to believe it, There's two main free agents, Garrett Cole and Anthony Rendon. And while other guys are going to sign, I think just those two players being there is going to slow things down. And I have no reason to believe that it's not going to be another situation where we're coming up on spring training, we're into spring training, and there are still a bunch of legit Major League Baseball players free agents out there who not signed and maybe it's another situation like you had uh, this past year where uh, you know like like a Craig Kimbrell where they end up waiting for a while, maybe it's the exact same uh, situation this upcoming season. I don't know, but that's I I, I think it's going to be a slow off season again. I hope I'm wrong. I don't want it to be a slow off season, but that's what I would expect. We'll talk to you again uh, next Thursday. I think we have one next Thursday. We'll talk to you whenever our next Brewers Weekly is here on WTMJ.